0: Are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs.
1: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. This is the health, medicine, and bioscience edition. I've got a great guest. Uh, His name is Abel James. His website is fatburningman.com. dot com. He's a health coach. He's an author. Uh, he's got a very highly ranked podcast. Uh, it's probably one of the top ones in alternative health. So I know I'm going to learn a lot from speaking to him, not just about uh, his main premise of fat burning and health, but uh, maybe about podcasting too. So Abel, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Very well.
2: Thanks for having me, Richard.
1: Yeah. What, so why do you call yourself the the fat burning man? Where did this idea come from?
2: Yeah. So it's a bit tongue in cheek, but It was around 10, I guess more than 10 years ago now. When I was in my early 20s, I was trying so hard to be healthy following the typical advice from the time. And I I grew up, I was an athlete and and a runner and I raced mountain bikes as well. So I was getting my information from traditional Western medicine, from some of the coaches, fitness magazines, and just the general knowledge back then and knowledge is in air quotes that you should be carb loading, fueling with goos and sugars and all these other things no matter who you are. <laughs> and eventually, following that advice, I developed high triglycerides, I had thyroid problems as well. Uh, it was underactive in my case, and my my body temperature wasn't right. I would be sweating all the time. And uh, I was basically in my early 20s, felt like I was in my 40s and looked like I was in my 40s. Follow- but by, by trying really? to be extremely healthy. And
1: uh, it wasn't. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry to hit you that early. But at least, you know, it as a quick aside here, it's I'm thankful for my body telling me louder and louder, don't right. do that because it makes it easier. Yes. So um, I'm, in a way, I, I hope you look at it as a good thing, but continue, please.
2: Yeah, well, in some ways I was the canary in the coal mine. I kind of got sick earlier and fatter earlier than some of my other athletics friends. And when I did some genetic testing later on, I kind of figured out why that might have been. But suffice it to say, I kind of hit rock bottom early. I also, at the same time, uh, lost everything in an apartment fire. So like stress and lack of sleep was layered on top of following the wrong advice. So I hit rock bottom and decided to uh, risk doing the opposite of what my well-meaning, maybe, doctor was telling me. And I indulged in a more so. It's a bit of an oversimplification, but the body has machinery to burn uh, sugar as its main fuel, as most people do today who are eating lots of grains and processed carbs uh, specifically. but the body can also burn fat, and it takes a little while to develop the machinery to do so, and you can do that more quickly using things like intermittent fasting which i've which I also started around the same time and so that was an interesting kind of corollary and and phenomenon that happened to me. It wasn't until actually going way back. I remember getting horrible food poisoning and I just could not eat for days. And, uh, and it was in coming back from that, that I realized my hunger was completely different. I don't know if you've ever experienced something like that, but sometimes when you're sick, your, your intuition starts pointing you in the right direction.
1: Well, I remember as a kid getting sick and yeah, it would be sometimes a couple of days. And I don't think I ate much at all besides drinking liquids and, you know, I would lose a few pounds, but I think I probably only had a day or two of maybe thinking differently about eating and then things would just go back to quote unquote yeah, normal. Exactly.
2: So that after that time, I'm just like, you know what, what if I don't go back into all of those supposedly runner friendly foods, like the cereals, the bagels, the whole wheat, you know, I wasn't eating junk food, I, I should say. Um, I've always tried to be healthy. And I was eating lots of whole grains and the things that, you know, were, were largely recommended low fat foods back then. But then, you know, as I started to eat real uh, butter again, and olive oil and coconut oil, and things like that, this is in the late 2009s, early 2010s, um, I started to feel so much better. And the way that I was thinking felt better, like I had more energy in my brain and was less Dragged down by the lull that you usually get between two and three in, in the afternoon or after that, after your breakfast or then after your snack. You know, for me, when I was eating six or eight times a day, it was like, I'd wake up, I'd eat breakfast, eight o'clock, say, then I'd want a snack by 10. You know, I'd be really hungry again. And then, you know, I couldn't wait for lunch, you know, 12 or one, could be a couple hours sitting there eating. Um, then again, a snack in the afternoon when you get that lull. And then dinner and then, you know, maybe dessert or whatever. But the thing is, if you're trying to be healthy and not overeat calories and energy in that circumstance, then for every single one of those meals, at least for me, I was ravenous afterwards. I wanted to keep eating, but I had to cut it off because I knew I shouldn't overeat.
1: So how did, you know, it's kind of funny for, for myself, I had a gun to the head health moment, which made it much easier for me to change my eating. But for you, you did it without that. So that's even harder, I think. And you thought you were eating healthy, but yet you changed. So how did you do that?
2: Yeah, I'm very fortunate to have been raised by uh, by my mom, who's worked in the health profession for her whole career, and and she uh, was a nurse practitioner in allopathic medicine, Western medicine, but also an author in herbal medicine and holistic. So she had always taught me that uh, that food is medicine and plants heal, and so it was it was really by abandoning my fears that came from the mainstream. I realized a lot of like the healthy eating that I was doing was trying to avoid things like fat and cholesterol or, or salt, for example, right? It wasn't about nourishing your body with, for example, the, the specific types of fats that your brain needs, you know, like omega-3 fats or or really the whole spectrum, omega-3, 6, 9, DHA, and all these different forms of, of fats shouldn't be avoided, they should be eaten on purpose. And so that's what I did. I I tried to get a wide variety and spectrum of fats and use that as as my main fuel um, for my athletic activities. And I was still running, uh, doing 10Ks and marathons. And so I started doing experiments, kind of fueling in different ways and training in different ways to see how my body responded. And it was the opposite of what all the running magazines were telling me, you know, that I should be carb loading, And that I should be sucking down Gatorade because otherwise I would die. It's like, it's so silly when you look at some of this fear-based marketing in retrospect, but, um, it's easy to be fooled at the time, but suffice it to say, you know, with, once you develop the machinery to fast effectively and burn fat as opposed to glucose all of the time or, or sugar all of the time, then, uh, you have a lot more control over when you're eating, when you're not eating, how much you eat, how long you can fast. And the ability to go you know, a, from a few hours to a few days without food is a superpower in this world. And also mm-hmm. it should That's be said world. too, if you're looking to optimize your immune system, every time you eat, even a, a relatively insignificant amount of sugar, your immune system takes a hit for hours or even days after the dose. Whereas with fat, that's not the case. So in times like these, it's it's more important than ever to make sure your immune system check.
0: Well,
1: you know, there's this whole psychology of eating, and I've thought about this a lot myself. I mean, if you think about it, three to six times a day, at least, you're confronted with this decision: what do I eat? Is yeah. it, quote unquote, healthy or not? So it's tiring to make that decision every day exactly. to do the right thing it weighs sure. on you and and what are you surrounded by especially if you go out a lot you know junk food and crap everywhere and you know i remember i would, well it still happens i go to a place and i'll get a coffee and they're like you sure you don't want a pastry or something right. and you feel bad you know if i don't get a pastry i tell the person no um i'm not being nice to them somehow and they'll be annoyed with me i mean these little yeah. social pressures big and small the ubiquity yeah. of bad food it, it all contributes to make it incredibly difficult. And then you layer in advice from countless sources, your own upbringing, et cetera. It's, it's yeah. not an easy thing.
2: No, there's, there's way too much information out there. And it's impossible to tell what's true, what's superficial, what's a half truth. And so I think one of the solutions perhaps um, looking forward is to focus more on where the advice is coming from and who it's filtered through as opposed to just getting these little tweets And little articles here and there with, oh, butter's bad for you. Eggs are good again. I should be eating those. Are vegetables bad now because carnivore is a thing? You know, it's so confusing and so overhyped and so driven by commercial interests as opposed to the health of, of those who are on the other end. So, what most people need to know is they're being raised in a, or existing in a hostile media environment where they're being exploited and tricked into buying the wrong thing and eating the wrong thing. Whereas, if you take a step back and you try to eat as our grandparents or or great grandparents would have eating whole foods that come from the earth that are hardly manipulated by man or machine and minimally processed, if at all think single ingredients that, that come from the garden in your backyard, you know, Um, think fats that come from, an egg or from a pasture raised um, animal of some kind. If you're going to eat any foods, you wanna make sure that they're clean and come from the natural world as as close to the natural world as possible, not from giant industrial chemical laden uh, farms that pollute the environment, basically create half dead animals uh, that are sick. And by the time we eat them, we're absorbing all of the pollutants and toxins uh, that their bodies were burdened with. And the standards are too low, just to kind of go with the flow and, and follow everyone else's advice and where they're going. And and even there, you know, if if they want you to eat the pastry, and that's kind of like, you're trying to maintain decorum and be polite, that's all well and good. and And kudos to you. But also, what you eat and every single bite of what you eat is pretty much the most important thing that's going to happen to your body that day aside from major traumas and horrible things that that can happen of course what you're eating the fuel you choose that day better be clean because if it's not, it's basically clogging up your whole body in all sorts of different ways that we don't even have to jump into. Dirty food. There's, an, there's a way to do keto, paleo, vegan, all dirty. You can eat all industrial foods, completely polluted, um, that will make you sick, doing all of these ways of eating. Mm-hmm. So it's it's so much less about like what identity you put around the way you eat and so much more about just having high standards for every single bit of food you choose to eat.
1: So for yourself, what are the most difficult things that you ran into and run into nowadays? And what were the biggest things that made you successful to consistently eat right for so long of a time period?
2: I think the thing that that really helped me the most was fasting or a compressed eating window. My friend Mark Sisson now is calling it intermittent, intermittent eating, which I think I like even better because it's less about avoiding food um, because it, once you start fasting for a few hours and and what that means is basically imagine just waking up and not eating breakfast right away maybe you eat it at 10 or 11 instead of you know seven or eight or maybe you just hold off until noon and you eat lunches so for me uh i have been doing pretty much one meal a day only eating for four hours a day around dinner time i've been doing that for about nine years almost 10 years now when i first started I was doing more of the uh, starting eating at noon and finishing by dinner type thing, which is more of a 16-8 fast. Um, And then on top of that, you can do longer, more extended fasts kind of therapeutically for three to even seven days. And some people do longer for spiritual reasons and things like that. But I'll say that one of the biggest reasons it helped me is because it curbed my hunger. I realized that once I, after a few days of, of pushing my breakfast back into later of the day, I realized that I didn't have those cravings and that actually it was the eating that was making me hungry after. And so if I delayed the eating until later in the day, then my hunger I didn't feel hunger anymore in the morning. I could, I could work or I could even work out. I could go for a run and do fasted exercise. If you wanna lose um, fat and develop yourself as a fat burning beast, <laughs> then that's kind of an excellent way to do it is, is working out fasted at actually a relatively low intensity. Um, that can be very therapeutic. So you don't have to force yourself to constantly eat less because you're in a space of time where you're not really thinking about eating for about half the day, for example. And then for the other half of the day, you in your, can In eat. your, uh, in your,
1: my question, in your four hour window or yeah. whatever window in which you do eat, were you stuffing yourself or were you were just eating to normal levels? Like what did I've you experience it. at first?
2: <laughs> yeah. When I first started this, I was in my twenties and I was training a lot, lifting and running and stuff. And so I do declare I had some pretty epic, you know, <laughs> The Rock type cheat meals from, you know, I don't know, maybe a year or two I did that in the 20s. But to be honest, that got old really quick. Um, it was interesting to see that eating a white potato or eating a donut in the morning had a similar effect on the way I felt in some cases. Um, and and also a similar effect on on the way that you can you know, sugar in your body, if it's coming from a dirty source can, can be similar to sugar coming from what would otherwise be a clean source. So there was a lot of learning about that, but it was really, once I turned down the sugar, that's the thing that made it so that I didn't keep stuffing, stuffing my face and I didn't want. So um, yesterday I was recording all day, did a whole bunch of different podcasts and, and stuff like that all day. And then we're moving house at the same time. So we're super busy right now. And I had a very small dinner, very small. We had pasture raised, grass-fed, instant pot uh, ribs, pork ribs, delicious, made in, you know, with with a whole bunch of different spices, different types of herbs and spices and sauces and and acids and vinegar-based things that we like to include when we eat our meats and small amounts of fermented foods. And then I think I had some chocolate and a couple of homemade, like, cookies. And that was, that's pretty much what I ate. all. Oh, and I had a small tin of oysters at, like, four o'clock. And that was it, all day. And uh, at first... I would have been like how could you possibly eat that little and still feel so so good but it's not about how much you're eating it's really about how efficient your body is at using the the fuels and the foods that you're eating to transform it into energy and when you first start burning fat you're not that efficient but the longer you do it and and the better your body gets at dealing with not having food and enacting these self-healing processes like autophagy and uh, and also boosting human growth hormone naturally and, and aiding your ability to sleep. It's like the body has all of these wonderful magic powers that you can engage th- uh, through natural means as opposed to taking exogenous ketones and a bunch of drugs to try to force your body to you know shunt sugar in a different way or use fructose or fructose differently. You know, it's, there's definitely a great need for advances in science, but I think a lot of people are still looking for a pill and they don't realize that their body is capable of doing a lot of these things naturally.
1: Well, when um, coaching clients, when you work with them, just in terms of the eating window, where are they usually at when you first work with them and where do you get them to? And at what point, you know, when someone needs to restrict their eating, where they'll actually feel some positive effects?
2: Yeah, it's everyone's a bit different, but I think it's important to take it one step at a time instead of jumping all in. Unless someone is super committed, like I was on a ABC TV show coaching someone named Kurt Morgan, who's two hundred and fifty two pounds at the beginning, um, and over half his body weight was was pure fat at that point. And so we went long and hard, and and he lost eighty seven pounds in three and a half months, like fourteen, and cut his body fat in half. So, with him, I went fast and hard, and he was up for it. And a lot of that was fasting and just kicking out, like I said, the sugars, the processed carbs, but even the wheat, um, rice, can, and oats. Some of these carbs can be relatively clean. And if you're training a lot and you want to rebuild glycogen in your muscles and kind of like re top off some of your sugar stores, then that can be okay. And then it's like, I don't avoid all carbs, but I keep them probably within on any given day, fifty to hundred grams. When I was maxing out, even during my training in, in my late twenties, it's like I probably wasn't going over two hundred, and it was probably a lot less than, like, less than one fifty most days, and less than a hundred. Um, definitely for the past like decade or so. So for most people, if you ease into that, it's really if if you were having a little snack pack of a hundred calories of something that's like chips or carbs. Uh, you know, cheese doodle type things, popcorn, That that's not filling you up anyway. So you kick out one of those um, a day, say you're eating one little 100 calorie snack like that, which is supposed to be healthy, because it's only 100 calories and what's in it, right? Especially if they're whole wheat or whatever. Right. <laughs> so you kick out one of those a day for a week, that's 700 calories and a pound of fat, you know, 3000 3500 calories or so. And, you know, we're not perfect machines or whatever. But If you just kick out one of those little things or push back your breakfast so you're only eating, you know, four or five meals a day day instead of five or six, that really adds up over time. In the same way that if you lift a kettlebell, you know, 50 pounds, you lift that twice uh, in a day. For seven days straight, and then you do that a whole year. It's thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds that you've lifted by doing something extremely insignificant. So, for most of the people I work with, it's more like that, where where you start to get your power back by realizing that you don't have to eat all the time.
0: Well,
1: when I've read a bit about intermittent fasting, um, it seems like there's not much benefit, at least in the scientific literature, until you get to at least you know a sixteen eight or maybe an eighteen six. But what have you seen with clients is a, at least even a twelve-hour window a big milestone for them or just yeah just and permanent?
2: and yes to your point that's that's a great point is that there are a lot of benefits that kick in at that like sixteen-hour mark um, and and more benefits that kick in at twenty-four hours and sometimes a couple days so there are cascading benefits but it depends on your goals if you're looking to stop overeating or get a better control over your hunger and lifestyle then I think that. That's a win right there. Like pretty much, I think almost everyone can win by eating a bit less. This isn't like popular advice for me to say, and I didn't always speak this way or think this way, but I think, you know, one of the biggest problems we have and and the reasons we're putting on so much weight is because we're overeating, but it's, we're overeating because the foods that we're eating are making us more hungry, right? Like every time you have a processed food, it's designed to get you to come back for more. It's keeping you hungry on purpose. That's how these foods are designed, and that's capitalism kind of, you know But if you can realize that and, and start to make your own food, like we make our own dirts dirts, we make our own desserts with real food and, and really turn down the sugar and use natural sources like maple sugar, um, honey, and sometimes a little bit of stevia or monk fruit, but we dramatically turn down the sugar so that you're filling up. And the food that you're eating, even if it is a treat, isn't making you more hungry as you're eating it. So when, when you are filling up on real food, you don't have to constantly fight your hunger and fight your cravings anymore. And there's a dramatic freedom that comes with that. Because once you kind of hop off that train, you have half your day back to do something with. Where you're not worrying about, what am I going to eat for breakfast? Okay, got to prepare that, make that, clean up after it. Okay, what are we having for lunch? Got to go there. Got to order something. <laughs> you know, got to eat that, got to get that cleaned up, got to go back to work and then do it all again for dinner and maybe dessert. And, you know, that takes up so much of your life. So I think for for a lot of practical reasons, people can simplify by eating these these more nutrient-dense and filling foods. And that frees up their lifestyle to do more with their life. And they don't have to be constantly addicted to outside exogenous things like like various forms of sugar in in sodas. In, in carbs like bread that people use for energy in, in these little carb hits of snacks. Um, you don't need that anymore. And once you can kick a little bit out, you, you find that you can keep that ball rolling. And I, I think a lot of people don't realize how addicted they are until they, they really start going on this elimination style diet. One thing I would recommend is if, if you are serious about this, like take pretty much everything that's packaged uh, packaged food that you know is processed in one way or another and put that in your MRE, like survival preparedness, food stock up pile. Don't touch it um, for, for a while. Cause that food will keep, it's okay. You don't have to give it away or anything, but do your best to surround yourself with fresh foods from the perimeter of the grocery store that spoil, that are perishable and eat them uh, primarily and, and really try not to stray into those processed shelf stable foods if you can avoid it.
1: What about if uh, someone goes to restaurants, you know, every day for lunch or dinner, or, you know, is it possible even to eat real foods in a restaurant or is it just not real? Yeah, it depends
2: on the restaurant for sure. But even in the worst case scenario, like uh, when I was on that TV show, Kurt lived in Atlanta and he would go to this like fried fish place with his with his co-workers. I think every Friday. he would. And that's a social thing, right? Like you don't want to miss out on on critical time. Um, with your coworkers, with your family, and, and all this other stuff, when you are going out and, and celebrating an occasion, or even just working, it's important. I think that you be there and you not just shut your whole life off from everyone. So that said, even at that fried fish chain um, down there in Georgia, there was a way to get the fish not fried. But uh, I think they had options for for steamed, for baked. You might have to ask them specifically. If they could get you something that's that's not fried in oil, or um, you know, just whatever particular dietary recommendation you have, at this point there are so many picky eaters on the vegan side, paleo side, um, you know, people who have food allergies to gluten and all sorts of peanuts and, and shellfish, all these different things, and so even if they are hotel chains and fast food chains, most of these restaurants, surprisingly, it might not be on the menu, but if you ask them, are are more than willing to accommodate you and your whatever food you know whatever specifics you want as far as how your food is prepared because they 're trying to sell you food <laughs> and they 're trying to make money and they want you there right. and they want you to come back and i 've found that you know over and over again over the years, and it can be a pain you You might have to be the high maintenance one at the table, but there are ways around that too where you can you know go up to the person at the front desk and you 're just like, "You know what? I have some food sensitivities." Do you mind if I put in a special order, or can I talk to someone? And you don't have to make a big thing about it. And uh, I've been really surprised by how cool restaurants and, and and places where you eat out are about all of that.
1: That's really good. That's excellent.
2: I will say though, the food is more boring that way. Like you're in you're in damage control mode more than you're in. Let's have a giant feast and totally enjoy this thing because the way that you avoid the the bad stuff is at restaurants is is really by avoiding their industrial oils. And their sauces and salts, which are usually laden with MSG, processed salt, and all sorts of other chemicals and nasty stuff. So you might have to – well, actually, this is a good point. I, I travel with a tiny little spice pack. It's really convenient. It's like the size of a salt shaker, but it's got six, six different spices in it, um, salt, pepper, garlic – powder, onion powder, I usually keep in it. And then on the bottom savory, I do cinnamon and chocolate powder for like coffee. And then uh, we also, you know, travel with our own fats sometimes. So we'll bring olive oil or, or dressings of our own. And, uh, <laughs> so yeah, you gotta be willing to be the weird one, but also as you know, when your health is at stake, there's, there's nothing more important.
1: Yeah. A couple of things I noticed, um, when I was traveling with my family a few years ago and, you know, we were in the airport, like in Amsterdam and i was just really hungry so i ordered these uh, the only thing they had that was i guess okay was like you know bacon and eggs that i get so i ordered like five yeah. of them piled up all the baguettes and just ate the eggs and they, <laughs> nice and i have done that but, but that works. sounds familiar <laughs> yeah sometimes it's more expensive or inconvenient or weird but you have to assemble these meals from strange constituents but uh you got to do what you got to do you know
2: it's true yeah and there's nothing wrong with that and and Although you're ribbed at first, and I was made fun of a lot, uh, it's it's those very people who are kind of giving you a hard time at the beginning that start hopping on the train when you're getting results.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, In your journey, though, is it just, I mean, smooth? You just kept losing weight and getting more and more ripped? Or what were yeah, the points well, that uh, you found most difficult? Because I think, you know, it's not easy for a lot of people, and there's a lot of bumps along the way. Absolutely. It's different for everybody,
2: but I can say if you're not used to being in the, that intermittent fasted or fat burning mode, then a lot of the benefits can come pretty quick, mostly in the form of getting rid of excess water right away. First couple of weeks where a lot of people notice that um, all of a sudden their face starts being a little bit more thin and and their joints are less um, inflamed. And a lot of this is because when you when you have an excess of sugar stored in your system, it comes with water. And so as you become less reliant on sugar and you stop eating so much of it, your body lets some of that sugar go and lets some of that excess water go as well. And so that water weight feels different, you know, because if if you're out running, for me, five, 10 pounds, even if it's just water, makes a big difference in the way that you feel. So I actually kind of like training with my carbs down. And um, as far as it being smooth or not, that can be difficult. That transition for a lot of people going from riding that carb train to not being on it all of a sudden, comes with like your body's not ready. You have never felt some of these feelings before. They're going to be novel. Um, It's going to feel weird in your stomach, probably your muscles and your brain might feel low energy. But that's because of a, a skill that your body doesn't have yet. That you're developing. Some people call this like the keto flu or the low carb flu or whatever, but it's not really a flu as much as your body is just like, oh my God, what am I going to do without sugar? And it's like, oh, I can just burn fat. And once it learns to do that, then it can burn the fat from your legs, from your back. One of the wonderful things about being a human is that we actually store our fat right in the center of gravity, exactly where you would want it. It's, it's perfectly designed. But if we're constantly eating sugar, then it shuts off your ability and your natural skill to, to access that fat as a store of fuel. So it's, it's truly incredible what some people can do, um, uh, and, and how efficient they can get at burning that fat, but it does take a couple of weeks. So I would say, give it a good 21, 30 days to get a fair shake of eating this way. And you can start slow. That's fine. Um, and make sure that you're drinking plenty of water. If you do those and, and that you get plenty of, that you're not afraid of Himalayan salt, like not processed salts, but clean salt. Sea salts, unfortunately, are, are largely polluted with microplastics and other pollutants. But uh, but salt is an important electrolyte to keep in mind. Magnesium and potassium can really help as through that trend. But then after those few weeks, really, there are a lot of people there's, where there's no no turning back. The people who I've seen succeed lose over a hundred pounds. And um, I've, I've coached a lot of them. They, they don't go back because it's almost, it's, it's not pleasurable. They, they feel like they were addicted to food as I did. I felt like I was addicted to food before. And I don't feel like that anymore. I feel like my, my brain and my habits have literally changed.
1: Yeah. I noticed that um, when I had a lot less sugar, if I ever tasted anything that had you know, "quote unquote" normal levels of sugar. I was like, Wah. Yeah. "Oh my god, that's too horrible. much!" Right? Or, it's
0: like a punch you know, in your things teeth.
1: Things with tastes, yeah. Like you're like, "Oh my god," you know, it would make you like, I don't know. And then uh, I I remember like certain foods that seemed to be okay before now taste literally chemically. They're fully chemicals, so yeah, made it a exactly. lot easier not to have that stuff.
2: Totally, yeah, because your tastes do change, but it's it's mostly from removing the over stimulus, right? It's it's from removing all of this excess noise that that all of a sudden your palate changes and you become much more sensitive to even a little bit of salt or a little bit of of this particular spice or or you can be like oh is there ginger in this you your uh senses actually become more powerful um especially when you're avoiding all of those chemical sugars sweeteners um MSG is in almost everything it's it's oh it's so bad once you Avoid it though. Uh, You, you really notice when it's in something, you put it in your mouth and MSG anytime um, like it's a bizarre little tingle, but it's a unique sensation. And I can actually, my wife and I has this, (laughs) we both have this thing where when we eat food, we can almost tell what poison I've been doing this for so long. And at first, like, I wouldn't be able to tell at all, you know. If if you're drinking soda, you're drinking Gatorade, even every once in a while. You can't tell. Your your senses are way too blasted to to be able to notice what real flavor is. Unfortunately,
1: yeah. I remember I was at the mall last week, and there was an ice cream place, and I looked at it, and just there wasn't one natural thing in the entire place. Like it was right. just. I looked at you know there was sugar 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 these eight kinds of sugar made into this, these nine kinds of sugar made into that. And like <laughs> even the machinery and the people and the lighting, like literally there was not one thing in the entire store that was natural, nothing. And I, yeah. you know, I looked at a picture on my phone of like a farm or produce and it just literally looks so radically different. Right. And I didn't even think about that until I sat there and looked at it. And I was like, wow, it, it looks like, it looked to me like the matrix, you know, how people were plugged in, and they were sucking out nutrients or giving them nutrients. Like <laughs> yeah. this, this place had, you know, the soda machine and there were boxes of soda with tubes and Man. it looked like the matrix to me. It was, isn't that weird. sad?
2: It's so dystopian. It's like, why are those our standards? Why are our kids being raised in this world? We need to demand better than
1: this. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So um, tell me a, a little bit about your podcast. You know, what's the goal of yours and tell me about your coaching and your books. Like where are you headed? You've, you've conquered your own eating, your family's eating. You're helping other people, but like, do you have big goals in mind? I mean, if these are big enough, but uh, like, where are you headed with everything?
2: I appreciate that question. Um, I, I really, we're so happy to do what we do and and be able to help others. That's why we do this. And and when we're not able to, or when we unplug for a while, we really miss it. So um, I, I do the Fat Burning Man podcast where I interview, uh, as you do, thought leaders uh, mostly in the, in the world of health, but increasingly. Uh, pretty much from, from every walk of life, and we try to figure out this whole thing together because everyone has a different perspective. Everyone has um, unique skills and abilities and, and backgrounds, and so I love talking to PhDs, doctors, and then just regular Joes and Janes who have gotten real results, and, uh, and, and so the, the podcast is a great pleasure to do, and it's a video show as well. And uh, I run fatburningman.com as well, which is a blog, and I do some writing there. And then also, on, I'm a musician, and um, I wrote a new book a book of humor called Designer Babies Still Get Scabies, and that just became a uh, number one international bestseller. So I'm really excited about getting that out there, too, because it's kind of a different kind of project. And then also working with the Tim McGraw Band again. Potentially, um, on a few little things and maybe even a TV show. We'll, we'll see. I can't say too much right now, but there's a lot that's going to be coming this year and next, and we're not going anywhere.
1: Maybe you'll turn Burning Man into Fat Burning Man and take over the festival or something.
2: (laughs) It might be a lost cause at this point from what I've seen.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, that's funny. Well, Abel, all right. So what are some resources for listeners? You know, they can find your podcast, I'm sure, iTunes everywhere, right? Yes, Man that's, podcast that's called
2: Fat Burning Man. And uh, once again, my name is Abel James. So you can just search for me on uh, in, in podcast stores, social media, and, and that sort of thing to find the podcast and, and that content. But also Abel James, A-B-E-L, james.com has some of my other
1: projects. And then if people want help directly from you, do you offer that with coaching or should they read books first and what are a few more resources for?
2: Yeah, yeah, I do have a whole bunch of different books that I put out in 2015, 2016. The Wild Diet is a big one, um, and I'm going to be updating that and releasing a new version, uh, hopefully this year, later this year. Um, but that's that's a great read and audio book if you're looking to just kind of dip your toes into this sort of thing. But if you're looking for uh, courses and more intense coaching, then definitely go to FatBurningMan.com. Check out our store. Write me an email. Get in touch and. We'll be sure to help you out.
1: Well, that's great, Abel. I mean, your inspiration and uh, you got all this great positive energy and just that is uh, is nice to listen to. So I appreciate you coming on the podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Richard.
0: You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs.